Blog Talk Radio. Taking it old school with some lookout weekend, Debbie Deb. What's up, Sam? You ready to head into the playoff weekend? We're on the uh, basically what's the NFL equivalent of uh, Christmas Eve today. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, uh, it's been a long time coming. People have been waiting for this for a while. It's kind of bittersweet because you want to watch it, <clears throat> excuse me, but at the same time, you know that football's coming to an end. I know, and then we have the long spring. I don't know what our drought. Team... It's a drought, man. It's going to be a drought. It's going to be like MLB and like some some WWE like pay per view events and things of that nature. Free agency, maybe. I don't know. Maybe some fantasy dynasty information, maybe possibly. Information, possibly. Although we might not have an MLB season because they met, which we'll get to later in the show. But they met, and apparently the uh, players were uh, less than impressed with the... Disgruntled, as as they would say, right? What's that? Disgruntled, as they would say. Yes. So, man, we got uh, a big show today. I'm pretty excited about some of the stuff we were able to talk about, some of the topics uh, that we're going to breach uh, today. Um, you know, this show does a lot of sports talk, a lot of recapping, a lot of previewing of stuff. And, you know, sometimes, though, there's a lot of juicy nuggets that we get to dive into and today is one of those uh heading into the weekend man uh the first is uh we had some more coach firings um happen over the last few days um david cully uh joe judge uh just to name a few uh joined you know mike zimmer brian flores and others in the unemployment line now brian cully uh, or i'm sorry not brian but david cully i apologize uh, David Kelly had waited a long time to become that man, and he the season in Houston and then was unceremoniously let go. Contract um, when he signed it, uh, he only was guaranteed two years worth of money. So a lot of people are saying that he was always only going to be there for a year regardless of, unless they went to the playoffs somehow this year with the one of the top three worst rosters in the NFL, um, he was likely going to be out. And I just, I don't know, man. You see a lot of these coaches, especially blackhead coaches, they don't seem to get as much time. And a lot of them go into terrible situations, terrible situations with a terrible GM or a bad organization. And it's like they're expected to turn shit into, into gold. And I, I don't know how they do it. And it's almost like if I'm a if I'm a black position coach or coordinator, you got to be very careful about where you go next because it might be your only opportunity. Look at a guy like Marvin Lewis, Sam. Okay, now I know Marvin Lewis had his struggles in the playoffs, uh, but you're you're going to sit there and tell me that someone with a career record and mind you, he took over Cincinnati when they were terrible. Right, in his first year as head coach in 2003, the Bengals went eight and eight. Do you know that the previous season they finished two and fourteen, and then the year before that, four and twelve? So it's not like he came into a star-studded team. He goes eight and eight, five hundred in the very first season, and then this guy went, you know, 131 and 122 in his career in Cincinnati that spanned 15 seasons, and he went to the playoffs seven times, and he lost in the first round every single time. But you mean to tell me there's not another head coach or there's not another opening that Marv Lewis could try at, that, that some team that maybe hasn't been to the playoffs in a long time or need to get going in the right direction, they couldn't benefit from bringing Marv Lewis on for, you know, four to five years? No, I see that. I think, uh, you know, you kind of hit it right on the money. Like the, the time span that um, blackhead coaches have in the NFL, it's really tough to say that they have such a short life when it comes to, to showing 
Uh, and, and you can take recent people, for example. You know, you could take uh, Anthony Lynn at, at, at Los Angeles. He was let go three years, I think, in, you know. Um, what about Steve Wilkes at Arizona, who was given one year? Exactly, one year, right? And then you have, uh, uh, you know, you have your Lovey Smiths over the years, right, you know, that have had chances here and there. you Marvin Lewis, you Mike Tomlin. But besides that, there's really nobody else. Well, why not? It's sad to say. Dennis Green's heyday, and and you know, uh, so, uh, you know, uh, uh, Tony Dungy, Herm Edwards. Th- those times are kind of gone, where they were given the opportunity to run four, five, six, seven years to really try to build something from scratch. You know, from the bottom of the barrel, like you were saying, like you taking teams like the Jets, for instance, when Herm Edwards inherited the Jets. They were terrible, and yes, they didn't do great either, but he did enough of a cultural change to show them that it's possible. And then what about, like, uh, speaking of Jets head coaches, Todd Bowles was given three years. Oh, yeah. And yeah, he, three years. There was a lot. With three years with no, with, with three years with no uh, infrastructure in place, no say on who you draft. Right. Um, you know, it was still the Johnson family and, and you know, your GM acting as a puppet really, that we're making the picks, you know, for the Jets. So I feel bad because, you know what, he turned around, he went to Arizona as a, as a D.C., did great, absolutely phenomenal, and won a Super Bowl. No, Tampa Bay, not Arizona. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry, take that back. Tampa Bay is what I meant to say. And then it's, the other thing that I noticed is a lot of black head coaches, they don't get recycled around the NFL as far as head coaches go like a lot of other coaches do. They're not right, so like your Zimmers, your your uh, you know um, your your Aryans, your Reichs, all these guys kind of make rounds all over the place, kind of you know they make their mark as an OC, then they go and be a head coach, and you know Reich's going to be there for a while, you know yeah, I don't care. Even the bad NFL head coaches are given seconds. Adam Gase got four years, dude. Yeah, yeah, and then he was not only in New York, but he did a terrible job in Miami, and then you before look at that. Uh, a guy like uh, North Turner, right? How many times Bill did he O'Brien. Yeah, you know, uh, not even Bill O'Brien. He's only been a head coach once. I'm talking about failed head coaches who were – Yeah, North Turner. He sucked in San Diego. Yeah, and North, then, he has a career record of 114 and 122 with yeah. four playoff appearances and a total of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. I'm uh, telling you, man, he's living off of that one year where he got LT 33 touchdowns. He literally is living off that one year for the rest of his career. Yeah, where they lost to the Jets in the AFC Divisional game. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Turner hasn't coached since being head coach of the Chargers, but he was head coach in Washington. He was 49-59. and 59. He was head coach in Oakland. He was 9-23. and 23. Then he got the San Diego job. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, you know, there's a lot of guys. I, I look at Jim Caldwell, for instance. Right. Who should have had a second shot after Detroit, right? He should have. You know, and, and you, you know, people forget Jim Caldwell also coached the Colts, right? Yeah. He coached yeah. the Colts. He was a Super Bowl winning head coach yeah. with Peyton Manning. Right. Then he took, but then he was fired from Indianapolis after three seasons. He had to oh, mind you, but Peyton was actually got hurt on the tail end of that too. He was. He had like he had so two seasons where he had no Peyton, I think. So when he won, I'm sorry, he never won a head uh, Super Bowl as a head coach. He lost the Super Bowl to the Saints as head right. coach of the Colts. But he won two Super Bowls as a coordinator. But Indianapolis went 14 and two, lost to the Saints in the Super Bowl. The next year they go 10 and six. They lost to the Jets in the AFC Wild Card game. The next year, as you pointed out, they go two and 14. No Peyton Manning. He's out for the whole season. Yeah, out for the whole season. Then he goes to Detroit, and his first year all he does is win 11 games. He goes 11-5, they lose to the Cowboys, then 7-9, then consecutive 9-7 and seven seasons. Detroit hasn't had a winning season since. Since Caldwell, yeah. Since Caldwell. Correct. Why? And Detroit has a losing history. So why? why Would they not give him another chance? I don't I, – I, Somewhere. Somewhere. I, I, look, man, you're, you're – um, your guess is as good as mine, but to be honest with you, like a team like Detroit, like why was Dan Campbell hired? Like I'm, I, I get it, he wanted to bite kneecaps off, and they wanted to change the culture. But you could change culture with a bunch of black coaches as well. 
You could. You could. And you know, Marvin Lewis for starters, to be honest with you. If you're gonna you know? any, any I think honestly, Brian Flores is the guy. Yeah, I believe that too. And I think that the, the Giants might make a run at him. The Giants, hopefully maybe the Vikings. Because I yeah. think the Vikings are in a little bit better position to win immediately. The Giants yeah. they yeah. have a, the Giants don't have a GM right now. No, no. And and they don't have they don't have any uh, they don't. Their stars are not really stars. They're, they they are you know, Correct. were stars, you know, at one point. And they play, Whereas you have Justin Jefferson, Dalvin Cook, good O line, good tight end, you know. Yeah. I know, I know the Vikings. The knock on them is a little bit of a cap space, but uh, you know, and I know I had heard his name tossed around for Denver, but I don't think Denver should go in the direction of defense for uh, the third coach in a row because they went John Fox and they went to uh, Vic Fangio, I believe, or there may have been another coach in between there. But they need someone kind of offensive-minded to come in and work with some of those pieces. So I don't think Flores is a great fit in Denver. And and if I'm Flores, I also don't want to go to another situation where I don't have a QB. So, yeah. And see, you know what, Flores, the knock on Flores was that he was too hard, hard. hard-headed of a coach to kind of work with. You know, when it came to some of the players, but I think that's also influenced from ownership and from UGM and from multiple angles. So, I mean, I still like Flores. I love Flores as a coach. I think he should definitely latch on somewhere. I don't think Chicago is a good spot for him. He doesn't want to take another rookie, you know, quarterback and try to see if he can make something out of nothing, you know, there. Whereas, you know, if you look at the Vikings, you still have one more guaranteed year of Kirk Cousins. And granted, Kirk Cousins is not that good, but I'll take Cousins over Fields on that offense, right? I'll take Cousins over uh, some uh, Drew Locke, Teddy Bridge, you know, out in Denver. Uh, I take Drew, I would take uh, Kirk Cousins over Dan, Daniel Jones in New York. Hundred so. percent. I see that he interviewed with Houston, which could be a good spot if, and it's a big if Deshaun Watson plays there. So that's the whole if, right? Like, if he goes to Houston, he need he needs Deshaun Watson as much as Watson needs him to kind of revamp his career. But he would have, Houston's roster is so bad that it's if he so goes, bad. But at least they have some picks. They got some picks coming up. They do, but they still need two to three years. And and I hope that he would get that if he takes the Houston job, because yeah, he they, can't be he can't be like a year and a half two two and out, you know, kind of deal. Exactly. It's not going to work. There's bad teams that have uh, that are bad because they have bad coaching, and then there's bad teams that are bad because they lack talent. Houston and Jacksonville are two teams that lack talent, but then you see a team that finished near the bottom. Uh, give me, give me somebody uh, this year, like Seattle. All right, yeah, Seattle's yeah. Got Seattle's got talent there. Uh, and if they were to fire, I mean, Panthers, for that matter, I would even say like the Panthers or the Saints. They didn't bottom out. The Saints didn't bottom out. They didn't have a successful season either. But they're loaded. Their roster is loaded with talent. But then you know, a lot of people give examples of teams going from worst to first. Usually that happens when there's either a lot of talent and it was injury riddled. There. And you have everyone coming back the following year. Exactly. And things normalize again that had talent but didn't have a great head coach, a la the Chiefs. If you remember, the Chiefs, I think, finished 2-14 and 14 under Herm Edwards, or 3-13 and 13 one year. It was the year before Andy Reid came. They went 2-14 and 14 or 3-13. and 13. They had eight pro bowlers. Andy Reid comes in the next year and wins 11 games, right? So that was a matter right. of, of poor coaching. But then another team of, like, worst to first, like the Bengals this year, you have a young quarterback that makes that next step, that elevates the rest of your team, okay? Uh, you know, and then – or you could have injury-riddled teams that, that get everybody back, as you were saying, and then makes the run the next year. But there's a lot of teams that are bad, and they're bad for a reason, because of poor drafting. And, and you know, I feel like the New York Giants are and Jacksonville and Houston are teams that have very, very little – talent that whatever coach comes in they're gonna have to give that coach and GM some time to get some players 
so, you know, we're, we'll kind of see. But I'm rooting for Brian Flores. I hope he lands with an organization that gets – because, honestly, the Dolphins were competitive. Even that first season when they had no talent on that team, remember how bad that Dolphins – that Dolphins team when Brian Flores took over was projected to go 2-14. and 14. The Vegas win total was over under three. Three wins. Right. So nobody expected anything. Some people were even saying that Dolphins team when Flores took over could go 1-15 and 15 or 0-16. Oh and, and I believe Flores won I, – I don't know how many games he won that first season. He won five games. He won five games that first season, four and two against Bill Belichick and the Patriots in his three seasons there. And mind you, a, a very uh, muddled QB scenario, right? You know, you still don't have top-tier talent there. You don't have a superstar there. You have uh, a would-be superstar in, in Tua, you know, had, had he not had those injuries and X, Y, Z. But, like, you have Tua and then you have a, a talented secondary. Right, I would say a talented secondary, Xavier Howard, talented secondary, good defense. They play hard. They play for him. That defense would not play as hard for the next coach over if it wasn't Flores. So, like, Flores really changed the culture there in Miami. He did, and I have a feeling that a lot of guys aren't going to play for this next coach. Uh, I think Dolphins – Oh, I don't care who it's going to be. It's going to be a a complete difference. And you know what? He was asked to bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick to compete with Tua. He was he was asked to do, you know, when he wanted to pull the trigger on Watson, the GM and the, the owner didn't want him to make the move. Right. You know, I, I don't know if, if that is like, and, and this guy Flores, you know, Watson wanted to play for Flores, mind you, right? Yeah. So, so you have a scenario where a superstar wants to play with the coach and the coach doesn't have the ability to do so. Granted, let's take all the extra noise outside, you know, out of, out of the background of, of all his legal proceed, you know, proceedings and everything else. Let's take all that out. He still have a top-tier talent, top five, top seven quarterback when healthy and playing in the league. He's amazing. Watson is still a great QB, you know. And he wasn't given the opportunity to pull the trigger or even try. You know, if the NFL would have banned him, you know, given a suspension of four games or six games or whatever, it still would have changed the franchise of Miami forever had they gotten Watson. I still think Deshaun Watson is being set up. I truly believe that Deshaun Watson is being set up. Because he doesn't want to play for the Texans, I think there are plenty of people on the Texans, uh, you know, board of trustees that are government officials, that are people that can influence decisions in court hearings and proceedings and things of that nature. Um, it's for Cal McNair, by the way, who's a billionaire. He's an oil billionaire, right? He has more money than Deshaun Watson. All it takes is for him to go to some of these women, you know. And I'm not – I don't I don't want to get to the point where it sounds like I'm accusing this woman of lying. No, 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 no. Let's not go there. Let's not go there. I'm just – we're purely speculating. My, make, make sure all the, you, the, the uh, right. listeners know um, that we're purely speculating that the, that there may be some foul play involved. You know, I thought that at first, initially when when one report came out, then two report came out, then all of a sudden everything came out. But you know, the biggest there's a couple red flags here that I could see is that the lawyer for all of these cases for these women is one of Cal McNair's best friends. And, and let's not let's not forget. Kyle McNair's uh, um, feelings, he, he's made pretty clear how he felt with the kneeling of the yeah. anthem and, yeah. you know, solidarity and everything of that sort. He's very clear on how he feels about those things. So um, with that said, I mean, look, speculation is speculation, but at the end of the day, if you feel a certain way and you feel like he's being – I feel like he's being set up. Maybe – I think these reports are doctored. You know, I, I'm not saying that as a guy. Yeah. I'm saying that as, as you know, uh, an outsider kind of looking into the scenario and looking at the situation. And people with money, man, they can literally do whatever they want to do. Well, dude, you know, is – here's the thing. Tom McNair has billions of dollars. That's why owners are owners and players are players, Right. He, all I'm saying is, if you are rich and you're one of these women, what did masseuses make in a year? Maybe, maybe a really good masseuse maybe makes fifty thousand in a year. 
If you work, if you work, if you work for like a large hospital and you have high-end clientele, then maybe you're pushing 70, 75. Yeah. No. But most With of all, tips and everything else. So all you take is a calendar and be like, listen, y'all say some stuff happened. You know, a lot of people, you know, could believe it. We'll give you thirty thousand dollars just to bring this up. It's so it, it's it that's fifty percent of their salary probably for the year. Exactly. So it, it, I would if they were in, in that position to again, but see that's where the humanity part of it. I I think he made them an offer. He would have to have made them an offer that was so high that they couldn't receive, refuse it because there at some point there is some uh, ethics and morals in play. You know, do you really want to lie to the public? Do you really want to lie to the media? Uh, about exactly what he did or what he didn't do, right? Um, I think he he has enough money to offer all of them enough enough money where they can retire and not have to worry about being massage therapists at all. Yeah. Uh, and it would still be like 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 honestly, it would be a penny in the ocean for him. Yeah. After exactly. paying all that out. Exactly. Um. All right. So real quick before. Did we get a producer by the way in the last week or so or no? No man, that sucks, man. So. Listen, I'm sorry, man. I'm just, I'm just telling you facts. I, I'm yeah, there. yeah, free. So, fortunately, but so uh, I'm just gonna uh, move on, move it along here. Um, last thing before we get to our next segment, um, what do you think is a bigger long shot to happen in the first round? Is it <laughs> upsetting the Bucks, the Raiders? Upsetting the Bengals. That's not happening. Or the Steelers upsetting the Chiefs. Ha! The Steelers upsetting the Chiefs, I think, is the craziest headline to follow. Like the following morning, that would be the craziest headline. So, and you know what? Yeah, I think so. And the reason why is because the the Raiders are not beating the Bengals, man. It's just it's it's not happening. Yeah, but long shot means as in like no, I don't even care about long shot. It's just it's not even on a, on on field goals and things like that nature. Last second, whatever you want to call it, it's not happening. The, the so Bengals are just too good of a team. The Raiders are their biggest long shot to win, or are the biggest long shot of, of upsetting the Bengals. No, 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 I don't even count that. It's not going to happen as an upset. That's that's the thing is I don't think that's going to happen as an upset. Whereas the Eagles upsetting Tampa Bay. Bro, uh, here's the deal. Uh, I've seen enough football to know that you know even the greats and the Eagles and the Eagles have had Brady's number for a couple games. You know, yeah. um, I think that's a still a possibility if it happens, a miracle. But like the 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 Steelers and the Chiefs, that in my opinion is like if that happens, if the Steelers end up like pulling out a win. That is that would be absolutely in absolutely insane. Especially because the Steelers got pants versus the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah, especially because they got pants versus the Chiefs, and also, like, there's a little bit of an emotional factor of like Ben Roethlisberger, the guy that got the 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 you know the franchise of their last two Super Bowls. He's on his way out. If it happens, it's like a Cinderella storybook ending type deal. Yeah. And jumped out to a what was it twenty three to nothing lead at the half against the Steelers. Yeah, it it was it was a, a walloping man. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then you know the Eagles. That's a game that cost me my semifinal matchup. Clyde oh, Edwards Hilaire got hurt. Yeah, early in that game. Yeah, yeah. after uh, scoring the touchdown, Patrick guy. A lot of people think the Eagles have no prayer, but, you know, I'm looking at Tom Brady's offense. There's no Antonio Brown. There's no Chris Godwin. Nope. You have Mike Evans, Gronk. You have yeah. Lenny Fournette coming back. You have a stable of running backs from Le'Veon Bell and all kinds of other bullshit. Um, and you know what? The funny thing is if they end up losing to the Eagles, the the, the, the worst person they ought to hear from is Antonio Brown. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's going to have I told you so party. Yes. Oh, for sure. 100%. See, uh, before we go to the next segment, uh, this is a time where I get to thank our listeners for tuning in. Sometimes we callers, they want to talk to us. 
we always enjoy uh, talking to our listeners. Uh, Call-in number is 563-999-3761. Our last episode on Monday uh, has garnered so far 792 downloads. We also had uh, 15 live listeners, although they did not call in. Um, Hey, you 15 out there, man, call us. Call us. Call us. Talk some shit. Tell Mike that the Bengals suck. Tell me that the Jets suck. Just do it. Uh, no surprise that 71% of our listeners come from the United States, but I was actually uh, kind of surprised to know that we actually have a decent following in France and Australia. Uh, France making up Parlez-vous Francais? 7% of our listeners. Hey, yeah, 5% of our listeners. So, uh, you know, getting some traction down under and uh, over in France. So uh, that's kind of cool to see. But we want to thank our listeners once again for downloading us on Amazon, downloading us on the Blog Talk Radio uh, website, uh, listening to us. So we're trying to get big. We're trying to grow. You can follow us on Twitter, um, you know, at no. We need a producer. We need Please. A producer. Yeah. Somebody from yeah. France, from we Australia. Need- we also need a graphic designer to design a new logo for us. So if you're from France or Australia, yeah, if you're willing to work for free for a little bit, uh, I promise you, you will get paid when we start making some money on this show, and we can quit our boring IT jobs that we currently have. So uh, both of us, yeah, very very boring. <laughs> and you know, we're gonna go off sports here. We're going to touch a a very sensitive subject around the country. A lot of people are going to agree. A lot of people are going to disagree on this. But I'm going to get your takes, and I'm going to kind of point out a couple things that I've been reading in the news, reading on social media. But have we reached a tipping point where our society is too woke for its own good? Oh, man, that is a loaded question. And the reason why I say that is because regardless of what I say, both you and I will probably be viewed as a – we're Gen X, aren't we? Are, we are Gen X? Yeah, we are Gen X. Yeah. Yeah, so they're going to say, hey, this is Gen X just being, you know, um, jealous or, 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 like, you know, envious yeah. of, of, the, of the new generation of people. And that's not really the case. <laughs> you know, no. Gen X really doesn't like to change. That's the truth, you know. And that's the reason why we're nostalgic about the 90s. That's why we're nostalgic about sports in the 90s, wrestling in the 90s. Um, it's the generation we grew up in. So given that, you know, opinion is absolutely. Yo, listen, there's nothing wrong with being woke because we got woke in our generation too. We got woke in a different way. We got woke, but we couldn't really put it out there the way you guys can jump onto TikTok and jump on, jump onto Instagram and say X Y Z, and the whole world is watching. We didn't have that, which made made us have some sort of shame in what we say, because we were like, hey, listen, if the whole world is listening to what we're trying to say, you have to be a little bit, you know, um, mindful of what you're saying, how you're saying it to who you're saying it, you know, and all those things, right? So absolutely, in my opinion, are there too many woke people? Yes, there is. If these people were woke, but, you know, they kept it to themselves, they'd probably be better off, frankly, if you ask me. I just think, though, there's a, there's a time and a place for wokeness. I felt like the Me Too movement was fantastic. There oh, that was great. That was great. Running around in Hollywood and in business, I thought that was uh, one of the best things. But one thing that's been bothering me is is in movies and in comedies anymore, and, and in stand-up comedy, people are easily offended by things. And especially in stand-up comedy, stand-up comedy has always been the one thing where people can say anything because they're making fun of everybody, and everybody realizes that it's a joke. It's it's a joke that's happening. People are having fun. See, and, and and forever the world has understood that, right? Comedy right. takes many shapes and forms and colors and, and things of that nature. But comedy at the end of the day is still comedy, right? It's nothing right. more than comedy. And it's not being done in a malicious way, right? But now anymore, 
stand-up comedians don't want to do it anymore because they're afraid of the backlash. And I can't blame them for that because it's like you can't say anything. And now even movies, even movies are so tame compared to what they used to be because of backlash. I read an article where a woman was offended by the fucking movie Elf. By Elf. Yeah, Elf. Yeah, I read that too. Like, what are you offended by? You know, and then like, oh, because they, they're they demeaning special needs adults. And they, you know, I'm like, come on, man. You're reading way too much into this. You're reading way. And then. See, look, you know what? If this was 50 years ago, you probably wouldn't be able to watch it. You know, the, you know, uh, $5 for, for a movie ticket, which you probably couldn't afford. And you wouldn't even know about it. You would hear about it. And you know what? You would keep your mouth shut because there's nothing you can do about it. But now, because you have your Instagram, your Twitter, your blogs, all these other places, everyone feels like they have a voice. You've always had a voice, right? It's up to you whether you say it or you don't. There's, it makes no sense in bringing something up that does nothing to the culture. Everyone should understand that these kinds of artistic you know, uh, um, uh, displays of, of, of how you feel or what you think, whether you want to make someone laugh or you want to make someone cry, or you want to make someone, you know, uh, jump up and be scared in a horror movie, That all that art is purely subjective on that feeling at that moment. So, like, there's no personal attack in any of that art. And the moment that people realize that there's no attacking when it comes to art, it's just displaying of what you feel and what you want to say, or what you want the other person to react, in which manner you want them to react, I think it'll become easier. So I want to just take some quotes here from this article for Elf and just read these out loud. Um, this person said that so – Let me ask you a really quick question. Is Elf canceled now? Is that part of cancel culture? Now? I don't think this Actually, got enough action. To, it can't be. To, it can't be. It's a great movie. It's a holiday ritual to watch. It didn't get enough – this article, this woman didn't get enough traction to get it uh, full-blown canceled. But she said that she couldn't sit through Elf for more than 10 minutes without feeling offended. That Elf makes fun of cognitively disabled adults through Buddy. Elf tells the story of a man raised by elves struggling to exist in a world that wasn't made for him. We are told very early on in Elf that there is something that sets Buddy apart from other elves beyond the fact that he's human. Although Buddy's body doesn't fit on Elf's furniture, his physical body isn't the issue. It's clearly established that there's a cognitive difference between Buddy and the other elves. He's referred to as special several times while at the North Pole. His toy-making skills are not up to par, and he has to take a post reserved for only special elves. Special is a term often used to to otherize people with physical and cognitive disabilities. It's often code for different and lesser than everybody else. Hey, real quick, I'm going to interrupt you and ask you a question. What year did that movie come out? Real quick. What? Yeah, what? What year did that movie come out? Elf, oh, God, I don't know, maybe 2003. Someone should ask her if she felt the same way in 2003, and why the fuck oh. did she not do something about it then? Why Man. she's waiting for 2022 to point something out. 2003, I was right. November 7th, 2003. Um, exactly. But thing is this. There's something that sets Buddy apart from other elves beyond the fact that he's human. They're right. What set Buddy apart was that not only was he human, but he lacked the skills that the elves had who were smaller and could work quicker to build toys. Also, it's fucking fictional. He's not making fun of disabled adults. I'm sorry, but, like, uh, you know, I I hate to bring this up, but, like, probably every other week because of you, um, I got a question for my kids. Uh, Uncle Mike told us about Sleepy Hollow. Is it real? And I'm going to tell – I tell my kids the exact same thing I'm going to tell this person. It's purely fictional, right? (laughs) It is not real, so don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Sorry, what was the question? Then why is it my fault about the Sleepy Hollow? Uh, oh, yeah, because you, you know what, the whole Ichabod Crane and the Sleepy Hollow and the Johnny Depp, you're the one that introduced all of them to that. <laughs> Excuse me. I did not introduce my five-year-old niece and my two-year-old nephew to Johnny Depp's Sleepy Hollow, okay? I'm not a monster. All right, I am not a monster. <laughs> 
Oh. I don't know, man. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyways, continuing. I'm sorry. Go ahead. She, so she went on this whole charade about how it, the, the movie demoralizes special needs people and, and, and really Will Ferrell's character is actually a special needs character just out of, purely out of the fact that he happens to be in a place where he's not meant to be? Correct. Oh, great. Okay. I I hope this lady... Kind of like Mogwai in Jungle Book, who was raised by right. fucking wolves. Right. He wasn't meant right. to be in the jungle. He was human. Right. Is, he, is he special needs because he runs around on all goddamn fours? Right. See, Mowgli, Mowgli, on the other hand, right, there's a difference. There's a complete difference. You can't say that he's special needs because they're going to be like, hey, listen, they actually hurt the animals in the movie. So that becomes the first issue. Peter gets involved. Peter gets involved. Peter, Peter's there. Once Peter's there, after Peter's done, that's when we jump into what big of a how how much of a special needs character is Mowgli really? And this is how I feel about Peter. I don't care. <laughs> Super necessary. <laughs> All right, now as we're starting to we're down to 23 minutes, the show is flying by because we've talked about some topics I've been very passionate about. But real quick, because we got a big segment three coming up, I just want to touch a little bit on the MLB lockout. Um, with the lockout going on, uh, we are now into January. Typically, the end of this month, beginning of February, pitchers and catchers report for spring training. We're about six months away from starter spring training with no deal in place right now. But here's where we stand right now. The Major League Baseball owners – they made a, a proposal on Thursday. Uh, they had a meeting which lasted until about 2 p.m. And here's the details of that proposal. They were willing to raise the minimum salary, uh, making more money available to Super 2 players, a subset of players who qualify for arbitration four times rather than the usual three based on their service time, giving out draft pick bonuses for teams that do not manipulate the service time of top prospects. If you don't know what manipulating service time of top prospects is, that's like when a team keeps the guy that is MLB ready down in the minors until April or May just to get an extra year of time of service time for them. uh, So they don't have to, uh, so he can still be under that rookie deal uh, for some extra time. So they're saying draft pick bonuses, will be awarded to teams that don't manipulate uh, that uh, service time uh, for top prospects. And then adjustments to the league's previously proposed draft lottery. Players were not – the MLBPA quickly shot that down. Um, We'll see if they come up with a counterproposal. But basically, the the big hanging point is that baseball generates about $10 billion a year. And there's a sticking point of about how that money is distributed. Uh, that's the big sticking point for the MLBPA. Uh, the MLBPA is seeking to put more money into the pockets of young players uh, who are making up a larger share of the game's player pool. And the union, uh, the players' union, hopes to curb anti-competitive behavior, i.e. tanking. Okay? Um, so, I I don't know how I feel about this. Um, I get that they want to put more money in the in the hands of players, especially younger players, because they're guys that are on these like contracts that they don't really sign their first big deal till they're twenty seven or twenty eight, and a lot of times that's the only big contract they sign because they'll. Well, hold on, hold on. You have longevity in baseball, though. If you sign at twenty seven, twenty eight, there's a good chance you could play to forty two, though. You know. the point you're only getting one big contract at that point if you come if you become a free agent at 27 28 and your team resigns you to an eight-year deal eight to ten year deal then you are 36 to 38 years old by the time your contract is over and you're not going to sign another big one now counter to that is all the money is guaranteed so if you sign at 27 years old an eight-year $190 $190 million contract, you're getting paid on that regardless of how you perform and regardless of injuries, right? It's not like injuries, oh, like I'm talk, talking like season-ending Achilles, all kinds of yeah, stuff, top Tommy John surgery, whatever you want to call it, right? You're going to get paid regardless. Um, right. 
So that that's the big difference. But I can understand wanting to maybe, if you're really good, like a Chris Bryant or like an Aaron Judge, getting a con getting another contract at like saying like let's say you're 25 26 you find like a four-year deal and then maybe getting another they want, they want the shorter contracts the way that the basketball players have been starting to negotiate the last like uh six eight years yeah, maybe exactly even though and basketball players are making a lot of money but they yeah a three four-year deal and then come back and then find maybe another four or five-year deal and they want to they want to reserve like the the last deal the last year of the deal as a player option. Yes, exactly. And so I, I don't know how this is going to go. I know that baseball's popularity has obviously waned quite a bit. Um, I don't think no one shows up to these games, dude. With COVID and everything yeah. else happening, it's empty, absolutely empty. I don't think they can survive another strike where it impacts the season. I just. I'll be, I'll be honest. But see, with you. Is, is, is baseball not the oldest sport in the U.S.? It is. Aside from they have old money. They have old money, though. You know, yeah. MLB has old money. They can last out, you know, dips until well, they can not, wait for the next McGuire, Jordan, Sosa, whatever you want to call it. That, that comes around, but I'll tell you this much. The NHL, when they had their strike, it killed the league for years. And it still hasn't regained the popularity that it was having at the time of the strike. And we're we talking 80s for the strike for NHL or 70s? No, that was like in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah, I remember it going down the drain after the early 2000s. Yeah, and because they lost all their TV deals. It, it had, 04-05 is when it happened in the NHL lockout. And then they lost all their – They still haven't recovered, I would say. They still haven't recovered. It's still not at the level of popularity that it was becoming at the time of the lockout. So I feel like baseball, same thing. If there's a big lockout and, and you have a core audience that is 50-plus, I do not think that baseball is – Yeah, that's the wrong sport to also pull viewers, right? The, yeah, and they don't have the marketable stars. They haven't marketed the stars. It's not like the 90s when you had Barry Bonds and Ken Griffey Jr. and all these big-time stars that were all over the place. They were on Wheaties boxes. They were on video game covers. They were everywhere. What stars do you see marketed? And we talked about this a while ago on the show, and we had the caller call in from New Jersey. They, they're not hosting Saturday Night Live. They're not in movies. There's, there's, they're not everywhere. I don't see Mike Trout, Aaron Judge. Uh, any of these guys anywhere. I, I think so, we had this conversation. If someone walked down the – if Mike Trout walked down the street, how many people would recognize him versus, exactly. let's say, Giannis, for Or LeBron. Or LeBron, right. Yeah. Even Tom Brady or Gronk, those guys would be instantly recognizable over some of so these you look at You look at secondary, tertiary stars in these other sports franchises, and they are – more marketable than your top tier stars on an MLB franchise. Hundred percent. All right. I mean, Zion being injured for as long as he's been injured, he's still marketable by the Pelicans as much as some yeah. say. Hundred percent. All right. Moving on. We're running out of time here, aren't we? We are. We're down to sixteen minutes, and this time I imagine it's going to get a bit heated. Um, we have some good stuff going on. Dwayne Wade was on a podcast with Dax Shepard, um, the actor, um, husband, uh, Chris, Kristen Bell's husband. And some of the comments he made caught the ire of Skip Bayless and Chris Broussard and a few others. Now, I got the audio clip that I'm going to play. Um, and I'll kind of let – and after I listened to it, because I watched the debate shows first before I listened to what he said. And then I was like, okay – what he's saying, I understand what he's saying. I don't 100% agree with it, but I get what he's, where he's coming from. So I'm going to play this. Uh, I mean, it's a 21-minute clip, so we're obviously not going to listen to the whole thing. But uh, I'm going to play a portion of it right now for you guys. We've never seen before. And the eyes are going to get younger and younger. As I, <laughs> We're not going to be once having a conversation about the goats. Now it's going to be the younger, younger, younger generation. And they're going to forget about Jordan like we forget about Kareem. Yeah, 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 yeah. I guess from so real quick, what he's saying is that the people now 
that are controlling the GOAT conversation all grew up watching Jordan, and they also have watched LeBron. But these kids now who are under the age of 18, they've only seen LeBron. And, and and even now, the guys, the kids that are young that are seven, eight years old, they're seeing the tail end of LeBron's career, and there's going to be another guy, maybe it's Giannis, maybe there's another guy that comes into the league in two or three years that becomes the best player in the league. And, and or, you know, maybe it's Durant for a few years. Kids are going to not think that Jordan is the greatest of all time, and that's saying that, there was a lot of guys that were considered the greatest of all time back in the day. Your Julius Irvings, your Wilt Chamberlain, your Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, your Oscar Robertson's that nobody from our generation even discussed. It was all like, okay, is it Magic or is it Michael? And and now it's LeBron or Michael. And so I don't think what he was saying is that, you know, they make it sound like he's saying that Jordan's going to be forgotten, but he's just saying amongst younger fans, they might not include him in the conversation because they've never seen him play. And I, I would total, I would totally agree with that sentiment because uh, you know you can look at the incoming class of NBA players. Uh, Kate Cunningham, for instance, uh, he's you know he's just like oh yeah, well Jordan wasn't wasn't you know he was nobody really you know, and this that the other, and he has his own sentiments for Michael Jordan. But see, you know, and I have this conversation with my peers that never got a chance to watch him play because some of my peers, um, they didn't pick up basketball until a lot later, Uh, whereas I I had the opportunity to watch all six of his rings, right? So, you know, um, for me, it was a treat. But for them, they never had the opportunity to watch it. And to watch it is something completely special. If someone, if you had a conversation with the person, with a fan that was watching the Lakers play the Raptors when Kobe dropped 81 points, they would say that was the greatest thing they had ever, ever seen in their entire lives. They would put that above Kareem and Jordan and everything else. You know, even if they, when they watched those, those people play. Uh, these conversations of GOATs, Jordan has now been retired for, since, I think, 2003, 4? No, 2. 2. 2002. Oh, 1. 2001. I'm sorry. Take that back. Um, yeah, so... so He's been retired for 20 years. Um, will he ever be forgotten? He'll be the record books for a lot of shit, you know. Um, but but the conversation, these guys, they have no clue as to what Jordan could actually do. Like, you don't understand, as a Bulls fan, down five points with a minute left, it's no problem. You have Michael Jordan, right? Um, they don't understand that, that mentality. You know, they think now – the the the, uh, the moniker would be all right. Well, Steph Curry is going to get you those five points, you know, four point play and a, you know, whatever the hell, you know, something of like that sort, right? And and that necessarily doesn't always work. No. Whereas Jordan, I, I always firmly will believe that Jordan will be, be the best one on one player that would that has ever played the game. I do think that Jordan has more staying power than Kareem, Wilt, Oscar, some of these guys because. To be honest with you, they didn't have their own brand of clothing and shoes, Kareem. They didn't have – YouTube didn't exist. There wasn't a documentary about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's last run with the Lakers. Like, Jordan's got the last names documentary. There's YouTube now. There's Space Jam. You know, like, there's all kinds of media that can be shown to kids. I've even shown Arjun, my oldest son, uh clips of Michael Jordan. Now when I ask him who the greatest basketball player of all time is, he says it's Michael Jordan. He's he's going to be eight years old. So, you know... I, but, but it's your generation. It's your generation's responsibility to make sure that they're aware of that, right? Correct. Exactly. All right. So this is another topic that came up for debate. And I think there's been a lot of good points made about this. But I'm just I'm gonna ask, and there's a lot of good points where it depend, depends on what style rules they're playing, yada yada yada. Who do you think would win a best of seven series between the 2017 Warriors, who were coming off a 73 win season, then added Kevin Durant, and the 1996 Chicago Bulls, who went 72 and 10 and won the title? I mean, I have to go with the Bulls. You have to understand. I don't care. You can put Clay Thompson on Michael Jordan. You can put Draymond Green on Michael Jordan. 
you could do all of that. But Jordan, you have to understand there's certain things that transcend ability, you know. And um, that team just had the ability to overcome everything anybody threw at them, you know. You had a top-tier jazz team. You had future Hall of Famers. He's beaten so many future Hall of Famers that this would just be another one on his list. You have to understand that. And he and I would say the same would go for, like, a Shaq and a Kobe 2000 team. They would take out the Warriors. I'm sorry. They would take out the Warriors. I, I hate to say it, but but Kobe, again, Kobe and Shaq, that, that – combo of, of, of two players that can completely destroy the game. Mind mind you that, you know, the, the people, you know what? You could say, oh, they're not going to match up well, all that. There are other things that come into play when, when you don't match up well. I, I disagree about the Lakers team. And then I also wonder about the Bulls team. And not because, here's where I'm going with, with this. What rules are you playing? Are you playing 90s rules where it's more physical and you can hand check people? Are you playing today's rules where everything is called, where there's a ton of ticky tack fouls and the game is more spaced out and open? Because you're playing today's rules. You, you got guys on the Warriors like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Kevin Durant that can all shoot the three and get their own shots. Plus, I believe that Warriors team was a tad deep. Now, outside of the starting five of Curry, Durant, Draymond, Clay Thompson, and JaVale McGee, but off the bench, you had guys like David West, Kevon Looney, Sean Livingston, and Andre Iguodala. And off the Bulls bench, you're coming out with Bill Wennington, Judd Bushler, and, you know, Ron Brown, I think, was the uh, – No, no, so you have, you have Tony Kukos still coming off the bench, right, six man. You have you have a couple of you have a couple. Of, I'm not going to sit here and argue and say that the Bulls bench is better than the Warriors bench, but I'm going to tell you that Phil Jackson will outcoach Steve Kerr in a, in a chess match, not ten out of ten times. I agree with that to an extent. The other thing is defensively, the Bulls team. I, I think you could put Rodman on Durant. You, or Durant. Yeah, absolutely. You could, you could you could put Pippen on Durant and Rodman on Draymond. Yeah, and you can put Rodman on Draymond, and then you can put Jordan on Curry, and he's going to shut him down. And Ron Harper, who was a great defensive player. Yes, put him on Clay, absolutely, 110%. Why not? But the, the, the other thing is, though, I, I fear the Bulls would have trouble keeping up scoring because they don't have the same offensive firepower, right? Like the Bulls- so, so consider the ticky-tack fouls, right? Now, now – you add those, add like another 19 or 20 free throw attempts onto whatever Jordan's going to be getting with those ticky tack fouls. Add that in, and then you have your offensive firepower that you're looking for. So, in how many games do you think the 96 Bulls would beat the Warriors in? Seven. Seven. And Jordan okay. takes it at seven. Yeah. Okay. Just because Jordan, you can't lose. Jordan's never seen a game seven. So. I know, but if he has to see one with a team loaded like this, He's still not going to lose them. Yeah. I do feel that because a lot of these players are soft, Rodman would have no trouble getting in the heads of Draymond and Kevin Durant. Oh, absolutely. Draymond Green is going to pick up two technicals the first two games. And and Rodman's going to frustrate him, and then Rodman's going to turn his attention to Durant. Correct. Absolutely. And Rodman's going to stay out of the way because he knows how to play the game, and he'll pick up a technical here and there, but what he causes as far as damage goes is worse. Possibly like a loot, you know, being suspended for two games or one game, flagrant two, or whatever you want to call it. You know, he could sell it. That's the thing. He could sell it. 100%, man. I I do think the Bulls win. I, I, I have a hard time with it just because Durant is so special and his size and his uh, fluid – shot. I do feel like Pippen would have a hard time guarding him. Look, I, I think anyone would, in the history of, of, of the NBA would have a hard time. I don't think anyone would have an easy time guarding him. Everybody in the history of the NBA, if you get a seven-footer that can shoot the way he shoots, everybody's in trouble, but he's one player. He's not three, right? 
exactly. And I feel like Jordan would – if Jordan's on Curry, because Jordan had a tendency to say, I want that guy, I want the team's best player or one of their best players, Curry would struggle to average 15 points a game against Jordan. And on the flip side, Jordan will take a dip in his scoring, but he'll get the W. Curry's lining up against Jordan, or they put Clay Thompson on Jordan. Jordan's still averaging 30, 30 plus a game. You see, I, that's why I think you have Jordan and Durant kind right. of like the pure scores. They nullify each other when it comes to scoring. Now, the rest of how the rest of the team plays, that's purely based on how it goes. The Bulls bench does give me, you know, uh, heartburn, but at, at the same time, there again, there's no lead that can't be overcome. I think you know, right? It's possible, and, and that's why you have players like Durant and Jordan. If the Bulls are up big, Durant's gonna go off. If the if the Warriors are up big, Jordan's gonna go off. Right? One way or the other, they're gonna close the gap. That's where they come one to one. The rest of the team, I think the Bulls were just a, a lot smarter, you know, experienced team than the Warriors. Even with the Warriors being you know, and playing the games that they played and being in the finals and winning, I still right. think that the the Bulls, uh, you know, their the experience at that at that point will prevail. And they, they had some good role players. Don't forget, you still have Steve, Steve Kerr off the bench as well. Right. Um, you know, it, I don't know, man. Clay Thompson, for as much credit as he gets for being a really good defensive player, has made an NBA all-defensive team second team one time. Right. It's about the intangibles that he brings, right? That's that. Yeah. That's really what it is. But, I mean, man, Achilles, ACL, uh, I'm not yeah. sold. So, yeah, but He's he going to see a, a, a dip, right? He didn't have those injuries in 2017. So that was... No, no, I'm just saying in general, moving forward with him as a yeah. player, if he's so highly touted as a defensive player and he's had now he's had those injuries, that's I think it's – yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's not going to be easy. All right, last question here, and um, I've been pretty impressed with this guy for a long time, but this year he's really taken off. Is John Morant the early favorite for MVP this year? I think he's in the conversation just the same way, you know, the Joker was pulled in based on what he does and what he brings to the table and how he puts the game together for the rest of the teammates. John Morant's playing out of his mind right now. He's completely playing out of his mind. I think he's averaging 37% from three-point, having about 50% uh, field goal percentage in general. Um, his PER is at 25 or 26. He's averaging about 24 points a game. He's playing out of his skull right now. But, like, they're also a young team, right? So he is a dark horse, I think, in the in the conversation. He's like, in my opinion, let's see how the, uh, the, the season unfolds. But, like, yeah. if you remember – like two years ago, Paul George was in this conversation as a dark horse, right? He was playing absolutely lights out for the Clippers and for a long stretch too. Um, he snuck into that conversation, but he never finished the season the, the way he was supposed to. And Morant's already been injured. He had a, he actually had a – he thought that it was a pretty serious knee injury, but it ended up being less, uh, you know, intensive. But I still think if he could stay healthy – He's he's uh he's in the conversation, but he's got to do more. He's got to take the Grizzlies up another two three spots in order to really solidify a, a run. I, I don't know, man. I think he's already the favorite. His defense is smothering. He's obviously I right now. I mean, until Zion proves otherwise, John Morant's the feel of that draft. John Morant's the better player than Zion right now at this time. And, availability is the best availability, man. Yeah, I mean, he's already got Memphis. They're the third seed. They need to be the one or two seed, in your opinion, for him to be the MVP. Let's see if they sit, they're sitting at third when the season ends, man. That's what I'm trying to tell you. I, they're not going to sit at third. They're going to be sitting at six. And they they should if they're sitting at third at the end of the season. Yes, he deserves absolutely deserves to be in that conversation in in the running for it. Maybe even. We got to see how the season ends, right? On eleven games in a row. The Bulls ran off nine in a row. I mean. Yeah. Uh, the Bulls are actually, you know, getting their face palmed right now by the Warriors. Yeah, it's um, different. They, they got two t- tough matchups back to back. They got the Nets, and now they got the, the Warriors. It, it, it's okay. We don't have a single superstar on the Bulls. I'm okay with that. Yeah, no, I, no, that's fine. And they beat the Nets, but I'm just saying they right now. 
think, 85 to 50 in the third quarter. 86-53 now. Okay, fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Whatever. They ran that off. They ran nine in a row as well. All right. right. So nine is two off eleven. All right. That's all the time we got. Enjoy your weekend. It's Martin Luther King Day on Monday, but for the holiday, we will be having a show on Monday. Yes, sir. Uh, so hope, hopefully you join us on Monday. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the playoffs. Stay warm out there, and we will talk to you on Monday. Have a good night, guys. Thanks, everyone.